Well, in the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome everyone to our service of worship and celebration on this first Sunday of Advent. It's uh, good to be together as we start uh, looking forward to the time when we will worship the, our Christ child once again and, and worship the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But a very special welcome to all of those who are visiting with us today. Uh, if this is your first time, we please know that you are very welcome and we are glad that you are here. If you've been here a few Sundays but have never filled out one of those little information cards or, or that, that's in the pew in front of you, the welcome cards, we would really appreciate if you would do that so that we have a record of your visit and can uh, follow up with you at some point if need be. We'll have some information. But please do that if you think of it. Just drop off the completed form at the uh, Welcome Center in the Stanley Park Cafe after the service. This evening is our SPBC Annual Meeting Part 1, or the Organizational Meeting, and it'll be at 7 o'clock. This is a meeting where we elect our officers and boards uh, members for the next year, so it is important that we have a quorum. And if you are not able to attend but would like to vote, you may do so by filling out a proxy form and giving it to someone who will be present this evening. And proxy forms are available on the Welcome Center in the SPBC Cafe. Also, we're having our final choir practice after our service this morning. So go ahead, get out to the cafe, have a coffee, and I'll give you 15 minutes, and then we'll come back in here and we will have our practices as the choir will be singing next Sunday morning. Uh, Pre-service prayer group still meets from 9.15 to 9.45 in my office. Feel free to come and go as, if you need to, but take time to come and to pray together. It's a great way of starting off the morning here. Christmas offering. We've had a few people asking about our Christmas offering. And once again, our Christmas offering will be going to the KW Food Bank. The need has never been as great as it is now, and the food bank sees huge increases in the number of households accessing their services. So this year, uh, this is a year to give and to give as, as you can, what you can, because uh, uh, you can use your Christmas offering envelopes, or you can just simply, if you're, uh, if you're giving your offering electronically, mark your offering that it's the Christmas offering. Also out in the foyer, we have that long box of mail slots or file folders, and there should be one there for most people. And this is the time of year that you can utilize that system for, uh, uh, for handing out Christmas cards or, or letters or anything that you want to do. So you need two things. Number one, you need to check your file folder every Sunday just to make sure that you've got anything that people have put in there. And number two, feel free to use it and you save yourself the cost of stamps. Also, we have on the, uh, on the um, Welcome Center, Adam Padfield has made available his Christmas CD. There are a number of them out there. You are welcome to just simply pick one up and to enjoy the music uh, that the Padfields have put together at this time. SPBC Cafe follows the morning service, and we'd love to see everybody out there just so that we have a chance to, to chat and to welcome each other and to, and to have fellowship with one another. This time I'm going to turn the uh, service over to Brad and the worship team. Well, good morning, everybody. If you've checked a calendar this week, you may notice that it's now December. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent. 
Uh, we're going to be hearing a bit more about that uh, later in the service, um, but the theme for the first week of Advent is hope. Um, so we can keep that in mind. Um, our hope is Jesus. Um, so we can all say a prayer for us, and then we can uh, get started with some singing. Dear Lord, I thank you that we can all come together today in person and online in order to worship you. I pray that you will speak to us this morning. pray that you will calm our hearts and, and clear our minds, help us to focus on you, help us to hear exactly what you are trying to say to us throughout the service today. I pray that you will speak to us all this morning as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, if you would stand with us if you're able, we're going to sing Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. This is a, uh, a newer arrangement um, with, of the classic Christmas carol.
seated. Um, at this time, I'm going to invite Jonathan and Theo to come up. They're going to light the first Advent candle. The word Advent means coming or arrival. The focus of this season is preparation to celebrate the birth of Jesus the Christ in his first Advent and the anticipation of the return of Christ the King in his second Advent. That is a process in which we now participate and the consummation of which we anticipate. The Advent wreath reminds us of God himself, his eternity and endless mercy, which has no beginning or end, and speaks of the hope that we have in Christ, the promise of eternal life. Candles symbolize the light of God coming into the world through the birth of his son. The four outer candles represent the period of waiting during the four Sundays of Advent, which themselves symbolize the four centuries of waiting between the prophet Malachi and the birth of Christ. This morning, we light the first candle, the candle of hope. This morning, we will light the first candle, the candle of hope. The reading from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 to 4. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose oranges are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. Now reading from Luke 2, 22 to 32. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, where the parents brought him in the child. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sights of all nations, a, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the candle of hope. As God's people were abused by power-hungry kings and led astray by self-centered prophets, there arose a longing for God's deliverance in their midst. And so, God revealed to some of the prophets that he would not leave his people without a true shepherd. When Simeon saw the infant Jesus, it was revealed to him that Jesus was the one who was promised. And yet our world is not yet fully redeemed. So again, we await Christ's second advent with expectation and with hope when he will again reveal himself to the world. Thanks, guys. Ah, so, 
<laughs> yeah, they did a great job. Um, so at this point, I'm going to uh, pray for the offering and for the kids. Um, so before I pray for the offering part, just a, a reminder that um, if you're here in person and have um, a donation, we have the boxes at the back, and we also have online giving options either through the website or by doing an e-transfer. Um, yeah, so I will, uh, I'll, I'll pray for us now. Dear Lord, I thank you for the children of our congregation I thank you for the gift that they are to their families and uh, to the greater church. I pray that you'll bless them now um, during their time in Bible Town. I pray that they will learn lots about you and that you will touch their hearts and that you will, you will save them and convince them of their need for you. And I pray also, for, pray also for the offerings that have been given or will be given. I pray that you will bless them. Um, Give us wisdom as we endeavor to spend them um, to further your kingdom here in the Stanley Park Baptist Church congregation, as well as around Waterloo Region and around the world. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so kids, you're dismissed. Um, your leaders will meet you in the Bible Town room or back there somewhere. And uh, for the rest of us, uh, we can, we're going to sing Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. What gift of grace is Jesus my
Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Indeed, what a gift of grace is Jesus. Gracious Redeemer, wonderful friend. There is no more for heaven now to give, for they've given us Jesus. He is our joy, our righteousness, our freedom, our steadfast love, our deep and boundless peace. As we gather around your throne of grace on this first Sunday of Advent, dear Father, we come with joy. We come with praise to the God who gave us the gift of all gifts, the gift of grace, fully complete in Jesus Christ. And with hearts full of thankfulness and praise for once again entering into your beautiful story of redemption, and indeed the time has come when God's church relives the drama of the story we now inhabit. It is your story, O oh God even as it is now our story. And together we confess it. We retell the glory of all you did some 2,000 years ago. So we lift our voices with all the saints and all the angels, with the whole creation to proclaim the glory of your most precious and powerful name. Righteous God, you sent Jesus to us even as an infant in a manger. And now you have crowned that same Jesus as Lord of all to be our Savior, our gracious Lord, our loving brother and friend. Yet sadly, we confess that we have not always bowed before him. We've not always yielded our will to his ways and his rightful rule in our hearts, in our lives. Instead, we've allowed the powers of this world and the lies of the evil one and the temptations that so easily ensnare us to have their way in our lives. In your everlasting mercy, we come and ask for forgiveness, dear Father. Forgive us, we pray. Help us to turn back to the ways of our Lord Jesus, to give us the grace and the strength and the determination to to his be true to his him as as his followers those who lovingly obey his commands whose greatest desire is to serve jesus help us lord help us to be ever faithful lord jesus you have invited us all to come to you all who are weary we who carry heavy burdens, and you have promised to give us rest and to help us with our burdens, for you are gentle and humble in spirit, and our souls will find rest in you. So we come. We come to you, for we are a needy people, a people who physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually need a healing touch from the greatest of all physicians. So we ask that once more, you would prove yourself to be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the God who restores. So we lift up our brothers and sisters, Janice, Ivy, Paul, David, Ann and Doug, Nancy and Harvey, Matthew, 
Alice and Murray, and many others who need to know and experience your loving touch for themselves. We pray for those who are mourning loss, grieving the passing of family members, those who need to know you once again as the good shepherd, the one who brings comfort to our grief, the one who wipes the tears from our eyes, those who have suffered loss over the past several months. Be the one who walks with them through the valleys of grief and loneliness and through days of readjustment to life. We pray for those of our church family who are struggling with the issues of aging, ever mindful that, that they are people who have faithfully walked with you. We pray especially for Doreen and for Ruth and Freeman, for Stan and Aileen, for Gus, for Stan, Dale, Elaine, and all our other dear senior saints. Bless them and meet the needs that the, their challenges are constantly demanding of them. We also pray for those who have unspoken requests and are struggling to find their way through various situations and, and circumstances that life has brought their way. Meet their needs, O oh God. Prove yourself to be generous and gracious and loving, the God we know you to be. Come, minister. Father, we would also pray for the many young families who have, you have brought our way, ever thankful for the children you have blessed us with in our congregation. So we pray for those who are raising their children to walk in your ways. And we pray that in these very difficult days, you would show them the paths to walk on, the truths to hold fast to, that you would provide all that they need, even as you would bring, uh, bring saving faith into their hearts and lives of all who do not know you. So now, dear Lord, as we come before your word, as we gather around your table, we ask that in these sacred moments you would send your spirit amongst us, that we might hear your word in the fullness of all of its glory, that it might move our hearts, that we might accept what we hear, purify our will to obey that word in joy and faith. For we pray all these things in the strong, loving, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to just heat up my water here a little bit. Good morning. It is good to be together today uh, as God's people to worship him. And I'm so grateful for uh, our worship team. Uh, thank you, team, for, for leading us in that time of, of musical worship this morning. Uh, we are entering, as we've heard, into the season of Advent, this season of anticipation, not only, as Brad said, for the celebration of Christmas, which we certainly look forward to, but ultimately for the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming again soon. Amen. Hallelujah. This is good news, and we need to be ready and uh, that is really what this season is all about. 
that level of preparation. Um, we want to be ready when our Savior comes back and found faithful and true. Uh, today, uh, we're going to turn to the book of John. We're going to hit pause on the Acts series for the season of Advent, and we're going to pick things up in John. Actually, Reverend Isaac Amron was in John 21 last week, just a wonderful, powerful message on the restoration of Peter in John 21. He focused on five or six verses there. We're going to back up to John chapter 1 and focus on the first five verses there, uh, amazing verses, verses that we need to have hidden in our hearts. Indeed, uh, this here, my friends, is true theology, theology in its purest sense. So that word theology, I... Uh, I am a student of theology. I have spent many years studying theology at the seminary level, many more than perhaps I should have needed. But uh, theology, uh, made up of two Greek words, theos, which means God, theo, and logi, logos, word, theology. We really get our definition of theology from John 1.1. And uh, we're going to focus our attention there this morning. But as I've been reflecting on this word and reflecting on theology as a, as a study, um, I, I was reflecting on all the courses I took. Uh, so I took systematic or dogmatic theology, took practical theology, historical theology, biblical theology. Um, and I'm trying to think if I had to sum it all up in one line, what would it be? And I can't beat what John has written in John 1.1. One, one. Um, I was thinking of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love... I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, okay? And that really applies to theology. If I speak in the language of theology, but have not Christ, or know not Christ, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Theology, without the understanding of who Jesus is, is meaningless. It's futile. I took a couple of courses that, that shocked me because they were taught, this is Christian seminary, and, and they were taught without ever, first of all, asking for God's help in understanding him. If theology is the study of God, surely that's something we should start by doing is asking God to help us understand him, his nature, his character, his attributes, his relationship to the cosmos and to mankind. But the other thing is we... There was a couple of courses I took where we seldom ever opened God's revelation in the Word. What were we talking about? I would call it anthro-theology. We were talking about man's ideas about who God is and what he is like. 
And that's, that's dangerous. See, I can talk about God with the best of them. But if I do not have saving faith in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, it means nothing. I do not understand God at all. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and I want it to be a a season of true theology for us. Uh, We need to understand what we read here in John 1 and glorify God for it. We're most familiar probably with Matthew and Luke's accounts of Christmas, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and the manger and Bethlehem and all those wonderful, natural, historical details that are so important for us to understand about the birth of Christ. But my friends, there is a supernatural theological reality behind it that is essential to our salvation that we find in John 1. And that's where we will focus our attention for these next four Sundays, uh, the, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Now, Last week, I'm not sure whether there was a whole lot of context given to the book of John. I just want to set it up briefly here for us. Sometimes we read the Gospels and we just, we assume certain things. John was a disciple, the closest, arguably, the closest disciple to Jesus who knew him best and most. In John's Gospel, he refers to himself as the apostle or the disciple Jesus loved. Well, John wrote this letter a long, long time after he had walked with Jesus, after Jesus had ascended into heaven and the Spirit had descended and filled John and the other disciples. It had been 50 years, 50 years since he had walked with Jesus on the earth. John, the the young disciple, was now John, the elderly apostle and pastor, pastor of the church of Ephesus, Senior pastor, if there was such a thing. He was living in Asia Minor, and it had been 50 years, a half a century, since he had walked with Jesus. And he had been walking then with Jesus by the Spirit, being led into the truth about Christ for 50 years. So what, why I'm telling you this is because the theology we read here was 50 years in the making. He, he had a half a century to reflect on who Jesus is and to continue to grow in his knowledge and understanding through his ongoing relationship with the living Christ in heaven. And so John had come to the purest and most profound theology there is. Now, we can't pinpoint the exact date that this gospel was written, But we know that it was written after the other three Gospels, the three synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew's Gospel, which, by the way, portrays Jesus as the King of Israel. Mark's Gospel, which portrays Jesus as the Servant Messiah. And Luke's Gospel, which portrays Jesus as the Son of Man, and indeed the Savior of the world. And though each of those inspired accounts are are absolutely essential and harmonious one with each other, the gospel was not yet complete because God had a gospel for John to write. What John understood, what, what the Spirit had inspired him to understand needed to be written down, recorded, preserved for all time in what is known as the fourth gospel or the spiritual gospel. 
In order to fully understand the revelation of God and Jesus Christ, my friends, we need Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We need the whole picture. And so John's perspective was absolutely essential. So if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we together read in unison these first five, and actually we're going to have six verses. I'm going to jump down to verse 14 as well, just to sort of round out this section here this morning. If you can read this with me, let's begin at, verse chap- at chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and reading that with me. This right here, my friends, is the very heart and meaning of Christmas and theology. Christmas and theology, yeah, I'm using those both in the same sentence. This is the most succinct and profound statement in the Bible on the incarnation. The word, the logos, is the title John gives to Jesus who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God became man. Everything that we are and believe as followers of Jesus depends upon this fact, this truth, that God became human. The word that is Jesus, that's John's title for Jesus. The logos, logos means word or speech or statement. That's what that Greek word means. The word became flesh. Fully God and fully human. Not half God and half man. Not a God or like a God, but fully and completely God and fully and completely human. That is John's message throughout this book. And my friends, it's a message that every person must believe in order to be saved. We're not saved by believing that Jesus was born in a manger. We believe that, of course. We're not saved by believing that Jesus was born of a virgin, even though the implication of that is certainly divine. We know that. We are saved by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, one with God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who became flesh, who made his dwelling among us, who showed us how to live how to live an obedient life to his Father who showed us what true love is as he laid down his perfect life on the cross to save humanity from their sins. That whoever believes in him, the Son of God, may be saved, may receive the gift of eternal life. John, of all the Gospels, is the most clear-cut in his purpose. He states it. He states it at the And in John 21, John said, these things are written. Everything that you've read in this gospel is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, 
you may have life in his name. He uses that word believe a lot, John does. <laughs> believe, 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 believe. How many times is that? Believe, 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 believe. Over a hundred times. One hundred times John uses that word because it is his ultimate purpose in writing this book so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Word, the Logos. I want to look again at that word, 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 Logos. Um, why does John call Jesus the Word? Why doesn't he just call him Jesus, <laughs> right? The Greek word translated word, as I said, it means speech or statement or literally word. It's a very important term because it's an essential point of identification for John's readers. John was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, made up of both Jews and Gentiles at this time. And so for Jews, the word or the logos of God was a really important concept because all throughout the Old Testament, how did God reveal himself? By Speaking the word, right? Starting in, in Genesis 1, 3, God said, let there be light. He spoke that, and what happened? There was light. All throughout the Old Testament, we read phrases like the Lord spoke, or this is what the Lord says, or the Lord Almighty has declared, or the word of the Lord came to, you fill in the blank, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, we wouldn't know anything about God if he didn't speak to us, if he didn't tell us about himself. So for the Jews, the power of God, the mind of God, the will of God, everything that we can know about God was revealed in the Logos, the word of God. And now John was telling his Jewish readers and listeners that the word of the Lord became flesh. He became human in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the culmination and ultimate manifestation and explanation, really, of God. Now, that's the Jews. What about the Gentiles? The word logos was significant for them as well. For centuries, Greek philosophy, uh, in Greek philosophy, it was thought to be the logos was the divine, impersonal source of power and reason in the universe. I've been thinking about, not unlike the Force in Star Wars. It's kind of, that, that's sort of the, their concept. That's the Logos. There's this divine, impersonal force that, that brought reason and order to everything. And, and they thought that people should naturally understand this power. And so John is saying to the Gentiles, to these Greeks, that this philosophy and abstract source of power that you've been talking about and thinking about is not impersonal at all. In fact, it isn't an it, it is a he. He was with God in the beginning. The, be, the word was, is a person. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only or only begotten son as we read there in verse 14, who came from the father full of grace and truth and his name is Jesus Christ, yes. But they needed to understand that Jesus Christ was and is the word, the logos of God made human. 
And so by calling Jesus the word, John is doing something incredible. He's correcting and clarifying centuries of Greek philosophy and Jewish theology, all in a few simple words. So hopefully, my friends, we can see why calling Jesus the word is such an important thing for John to do here. And so he writes, in the beginning, the beginning, what beginning? The the beginning, the only beginning there is. The same beginning we read in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. The Hebrew Old Testament's called, in Greek, is called the Septuagint. Exact same words that John uses here. Identical. He, he takes it out because he is trying to tell us something about God. In Genesis 1.1, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what does John do? He specifies something about God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John is saying when the beginning began, the Word that is Jesus Christ was already there. That's an awesome thought. In the beginning was the Word. This is a declaration, my friends, that Jesus Christ is eternal, everlasting, The word that is Christ existed before time, and therefore he is outside of time, which means he is eternal and preexistent, which is why all throughout this amazing gospel of John, Jesus speaks of himself in the present, continuous, ongoing tense, if you understand your verbiage there. In fact, in John 8, 58, Jesus calls himself the title that God used to describe his own eternal nature to Moses in Exodus 3. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Jesus could say this because there was never a time where he wasn't. He is. He always will be. He always was. And at this, the Jews picked up stones to kill him because that was blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. But he could because he is God. So that's how John begins this story, by announcing that Jesus, the word, is eternal. And then John says the word was with God. Now, I hear that and I think, okay, like, I'm, I'm with you. We're here together beside each other. This does not mean that Jesus was just hanging out with God or tagging along by his side. It means that Jesus is equal to God. Not underneath him looking up at him or above him looking down, but face to face with God in equal intimate communion with God the Father. And then just to make sure we don't miss this point, John repeats it. He says, he was with God in the beginning. So he was with God and he was with God in the beginning, just to make his point clear. And then John tells us something point blank, and this is really what theology is all about. The word was God. The word was God. The the original construction in the Greek is God was the word. Jesus is God. Full stop. Hold on a minute. How can he be with God and be God at the same time? Isn't that uh, a contradiction? No. Not when we consider the essential doctrine of the Trinity, clearly taught all throughout Scripture, that there is one God in three distinct persons. God the Father, Jesus, God's one and only Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
And here we find two of them. Jesus, the Word, God's Son, was with God, but he was also God himself, one with God. Jesus boldly proclaimed this to the Jews in John 10, 30. He said what? I and the Father are one. We're one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was directly claiming to be God. And again, guess what the Jews did? They picked up stones to kill him. Because that's blasphemy. You cannot claim to be God unless you are. And he was, he is, and he always will be. My friends, out of the gates, John is declaring that Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, is God. This is what theology is all about. So if you break down that word theology, theos, theos, God, logos, the word, what is, who is the word? Jesus. Theology equals Jesus. How come I didn't take that course? That's theology. Jesus Christ is God. That's John's point. If you miss that, none of the rest matters. It's a pretty huge introduction, isn't it? And so John has to back up that claim that that, that Jesus is God. How do you back up that claim? Well, here's how. Verse 3, he says this. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. So that's the positive way of saying that. And then he puts it in the negative. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is an amazing thing. See, people understood God created the world. Okay? So the proof that the word Jesus is God is that through him, Everything was created. You see what John's doing there? Jesus is not just the agent of salvation. He is the agent of creation. And to make this point absolutely clear, he says it twice. (laughs) All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Mm. This is echoing what Paul writes. For by him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven. Things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. Genesis 1.1, right? John 1.1. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. That's our Savior Jesus. That's whose birth we're getting ready to celebrate. That's whose return we are getting ready to anticipate. This is what we should be ready for. This is our Savior That's our God, God in the flesh, in him all things hold together, which means, my friends, Jesus Christ is the source of all life on earth. Do you believe that? He's the sustainer of all life on earth. For in him we live and move and have our being. We read that in Acts 17, 28, and it's true. Uh, Jesus is the source of life, and here's what John writes, in him was life. That word is so cool. Zoe is the word in Greek, and it doesn't just refer to our physical existence, which we live and breathe as physical beings. It refers to our spiritual existence. Indeed, the spiritual life, the divine life of God himself is what's in view here. In Jesus, in the word, was life. It's the everlasting divine life of God. It's the same word, by the way, we read in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the zoe, the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus used this word a lot. John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full abundant life. And of course, we know this one, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In him was life. Jesus didn't come to offer us a better or improved life on earth. Jesus, the word, became flesh so that we could share in the abundant, everlasting life of God himself that comes only through believing in him. And then verse four, John says, in him was life and that life was what? Was the light of men. You cannot separate life and light. I'm not a scientist, but I know one. And I know that, I know that if the sun went black, we would die. Without the light of the sun, all life on earth would stop, would cease. We would die. We would freeze to death. Life and light cannot be separated here. The life in Jesus was the light. And that's a really cool Greek word too. It means divine illumination to the world. And that light does something. It shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Jesus' light shines into the darkness of this world. The darkness of sin and evil and death and destruction. This world, my friends, where Satan and his demons seek to deceive and destroy and devour human life. All around us. Jesus came to offer us the eternal divine life of God. How? By shining his light. Divine illumination. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Into the darkness of this world. And you know what light does? It exposes stuff. The light of Christ exposes our sin. It exposes our guilt. And it exposes and reveals our need for salvation, our need for forgiveness, our need for a savior. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, light and life cannot be separated. Problem is people love the darkness don't they? You remember that late night conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus? He comes to him with questions about faith and, and unbelief and eternity in the kingdom of God. And here's what we read. Jesus tells Nicodemus that this is the verdict, okay? Light has come into the world, talking about himself, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who hates evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Hmm. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. That's what light does. 
That's what Jesus' light does. It enables us to see ourselves for who we really are, my friends, desperate sinners in need of a Savior. And it enables us to see Jesus for who he really is, the Savior we desperately need, the righteous Son of God, the Word who became flesh, who died for the sins of the world and rose from the grave to save us free. Save us and set us free, rather. Apart from Jesus, who is the light of life, my friends, people are stumbling and wandering aimlessly, hopelessly, helplessly in the increasing darkness of this world. That, by the way, I don't know about you, I just think it seems to get worse every day. Darker. More hopeless. On all sides, my friends, we're surrounded and bombarded by fear and anxiety. Depression through the roof. Domestic abuse, addiction, crime. Rampant is crime. Greed is out of control. War. Let's talk about war and and terror. Hatred everywhere across this world. What about sexual immorality and depravity? So widespread that it seems to be taking over the world. My friends, this is a hating, hurting, hopeless world. But this is not all bleak. This is, in fact, the brightest and best news ever. Because what does it say? The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And that word understood is a little misunderstood. This doesn't mean the darkness sees Jesus' light and scratches its head like, hmm, I don't understand you, light. No. In the original language, this is saying that Jesus' light shines into the darkness, but the darkness cannot overtake it. The darkness cannot overwhelm it or overpower it. No amount of darkness will ever be able to overcome the light of Jesus Christ that shines into the darkness. Because here's the thing about light. Darkness cannot extinguish it ever. Light always will pierce through the darkness. Can we do something? Can we try to make this room dark? I don't know if you guys can shut off these lights. Um, I don't know how, it's probably not going to get that dark. This probably won't really be a great, well, it's pretty good actually. Thank you. I'm going to pick this up and get wax on my hands. No amount of darkness. We can make this pitch black. We can shut those blinds. Brad, you don't have to do that, no, but we can shut off that light at the back. What, What happens the darker we make this? What happens to this light? It gets brighter. It shines brighter. The the more the darkness grows, the brighter the light of Christ glows. Thank you. Look at that. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not, will not, will never overcome it. My friends, we have, you can turn those on now, thanks. I I don't want to fall off the stage. We have the light of Christ living in our hearts. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We have his Holy Spirit. We are to shine. We've talked about this before, not too many weeks ago. Shining the light of Christ into the darkness of this world. How? By walking in the Spirit. 
by, by sharing God's love with people in tangible ways, but also in verbal ways by telling them the good news that we have hidden in our hearts that Jesus Christ is God. God who became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that we could see the good news, that the word living before us, so that we could see what God is like, so he could, we could follow what God wants us to do. He is our example, but then he died on the cross because we could never obey, and that's why his death for us pays for everything. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Our sins are paid for if we turn and what? Believe in him. Praise God. I love the good news translation of this verse. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. Never, never will. My friends, Jesus Christ, the word of God in the flesh, the light of the world has entered into the darkness of sin and unbelief and hopelessness and death and judgment and the darkness did not, has not, cannot, will not overtake him, amen? which I think makes a tremendous difference for those of us who believe in Jesus. In John 12, 36, Jesus said, put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons and daughters of light. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. When a person repents of their sins and surrenders in faith to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, not only do they leave the darkness of sin and death and enter the light of eternal life, but they actually join God's family of light. We are God's children of light, my friends, beacons of Jesus' light divine. I just quoted this, but I want to show it to you. Paul writes, God said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Is his light shining in your heart? It needs to more than ever because it's so dark out there. That means we will shine so brightly out there because we know the truth. The truth has set us free. My friends, the light of the word that is Jesus shines into the darkness of this world he created and the darkness has never put it out. The light of the word made flesh. Jesus will continue to shine in the darkness, bringing life and light to anyone who will turn away from their life of sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, Jesus, the word from the beginning, who is with God and who is God himself, through whom all things were made, will return in glory and power. And by the way, can I just show you a really cool verse? The word of God. Jesus is the word from the beginning. He's also called the word of God at the end. This is how John sees Jesus in all his glory, returning on a white horse with angel armies behind him. He says this, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is, say it with me, the word of God, the logos of Theos. The word from the beginning. Jesus said, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That is our savior. If you're in the darkness this morning, and you know it, would you turn to Jesus Christ, the light of the world, today? Repent of your sin. Admit it. I'm a sinner. I'm in the dark. 
I've got a debt that I can't pay. Cry out to him for forgiveness and he will save you. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, the son of God, God in the flesh who died for your sins on the cross. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, which he did. You'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. You'll be brought into the light and you will be given eternal life, Zoe, in Jesus' name. My friends, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, as dark as the darkness gets, be encouraged and assured of this today. The darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. As his children of light, emblazoned by the word of Christ, may we be emboldened this Advent season to bear, declare, and share the word, the shining, soul-saving, life-giving truth about Jesus Christ with those who need to hear it. My friends, we all know people who need to hear it. They're in our families. We pray for them every day. They live beside us. We, we work with them. People living without hope all around us. My friends, may we be empowered to storm the darkness with the inextinguishable light of Christ that shines through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Today and until Jesus Christ, the word of God returns. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just want to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for opening the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus for who he is. The word from the beginning. God in the flesh. The word who, who took on humanity became one of us to save us from our sins. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, thank you for saving all of us who are saved here today. And I want to pray for those who are not, those living in the darkness. God, only you can save a soul. And so I pray that you do that work today. By the power of your spirit, convicting people. Of, of their sin and their need for a savior and that people, if they do not believe in you today, that they would hear the good news and turn and believe in you and be saved, be forgiven, be set free from the burden of sin and become your children, adopted children of light. Father, thank you for the light that shines in the darkness, and may we shine your light this season like never before, brilliantly, blazingly, for your glory. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Um, give me one moment just to compose myself. And blow my nose. Can uh, you mute me here? <laughs> I'm back. Um, we have the privilege and the responsibility this morning to come together as God's people around the Lord's table. Um, but before we do that, there's something really exciting and, and wonderful that we get to do. 
Uh, it's always appropriate when we come together to the Lord's table to recognize our unity in the body of Christ and to welcome new members into the body of Christ here. And uh, I am so honored today because my pastor growing up uh, and his lovely wife, uh, the Reverend Neville Cowan and Ruby, uh, are returning and coming back into membership today. So it's not so much a matter of, yeah, we should... So uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite them to come on up, but just as a quick reminder, we take membership very seriously here. Uh, being a member of the body of Christ is a privilege. In fact, it's, it's one of the greatest responsibilities I believe we have as followers of Jesus to be committed to a local body of believers, to serve and, and partner together in, in the mission and fellowship of his church. And so uh, this is what we're celebrating today, uh, a shared commitment. And I'm so grateful uh, that um, the Lord has led Reverend Neville and, and Ruby back here after uh, many years away. Uh, it's been a, a sweet reunion to, to have them back and get reacquainted these last uh, few years. And, and so now we are excited to formally welcome them back into membership today. So I'm going to invite them to come on up to the front here along with our deacons. And uh, we are going to do this thing we do, which is have Neville and Ruby re-sign the membership scroll, and we are going to welcome them back. But before we do that, you can just stand up here for a moment here. I want to read my script here so that I don't miss anything uh, it is an honor, my brother and sister, to welcome you back into fellowship in this family of believers in Christ, bound together by a common faith in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Indeed, we've had the privilege of witnessing the evidence of this work in you for many, many years, making you one with us in common faith and loyalty to Jesus. Today, we rejoice to formally welcome you back into this family, inviting you once again to participate fully in our worship and mission, to use your amazing spiritual gifts in the areas of ministry to which the Lord will lead you, and to help provide for the needs of our congregation as you are able. We ask you to encourage others in our fellowship and by your own devotional life and example to bring growth and enrichment into the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now to you, our congregation, as we receive Neville and Ruby back into our fellowship, we're entering into a joyous covenant, as I mentioned, with them. May they always find Stanley Park Baptist Church to be a community of spiritual enrichment, encouragement, and refuge. May they find us always prepared to receive them as part of the family, willing to celebrate their joys and open to share with them the deepest needs of our lives. As a sign of your willingness to commit yourself to Neville and Ruby, I would ask everyone to stand if you are able and join with me in a prayer of dedication. Our Heavenly Father, God, we give you thanks and praise for Neville and Ruby, whom you have rejoined to our fellowship this day. Thank you, Father, for the faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, which unites us and binds us together as one body. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who has brought us together in unity this day. And Lord, I pray that you would enable all of us by the power of your spirit to be faithful and active members of your church, committed to worship and ministry, spiritual growth and mission together for your glory. 
May we all use our gifts for the welfare of each other and the well-being of your church. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord, I pray. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus and on behalf of this, your church family, I welcome you into this membership, brother and sister. May God enrich and bless you as you share in the life and ministry of this church once again. We're going to hug you awkwardly and then have you sign this scroll here. So God bless you guys. I get first dibs. Lord bless you, brother. Lord bless you. Welcome home. Does anyone have a pen? Oh, thank you, brother. All right. Sorry. Thank you, brother. All right. All right. Neville and Ruby, can I just have you, when you're done hugging, the hugging chain here that you can just sign, sign right down here, okay? Yeah, just anywhere down here is good. There you go. Looks good. Yeah. Excellent. Amen. All right. He signed. It's official. Thank you. God bless you, brother. All right, guys. Awesome. All right. You may be seated. Thank you all for standing. All right. And our deacons have found their way to the front here as well. Um, yeah, some of us, we're, we're still waiting on a couple here. Um, <clears throat> this is, uh, this is great. Uh, I know, I know it's a little awkward. We hug, do you hug, do you shake the hand, you get, you know, go down the line, but man, what, what a gift, what a gift to be part of the family of God. I know this is a little impromptu, but can we just... Sing that chorus together right now. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family the family of God. I wrote another uh, verse to that that you don't know, so I won't make you sing it, but uh, uh, ask me about that after. We did sing, sing it one time. We did. I was trying to make it a little more theological. I'm so glad I'm a part of the body of Christ because that is what this is all about. And that's what we come together here to do, to partake of the body of Christ, the word who became flesh. Um, Sometimes we don't think of that. We come to the table and it's what we do, and yet this is profound, what we are about to do. Because Jesus has commanded us to remember him and his sacrificial death for our sins on the cross in a very specific way, by partaking of elements that represent 
the word that became flesh, his body given for us and his blood shed for our sin. These elements of bread and juice represent Jesus' body and blood, and they are a visible sermon to us today. My friends, just a couple words of reminder. This is a meal for followers of Jesus Christ, for believers. To its blessing and fellowship, all disciples of the Lord Jesus who have confessed him before people and are walking with him by the Spirit can come and partake in this meal. But if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if, if you have not surrendered in faith to him and given your life to him, we encourage you, please do not participate. Just refrain. And we do pray one day you will come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then you would be welcome to join us here. This is not our table, but the Lord's table and the Lord's supper. The Apostle Paul warns us, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So before we partake of these elements, we're just going to take a few moments to examine ourselves this morning, recognizing both the gravity of our sin and the weight of Jesus' glorious sacrifice for us. So can we just take a few moments in quiet meditation? Heavenly Father, as we come to celebrate this meal prepared for us, that the bread and the cup are visible reminders of our sin, but also the supreme sacrifice of your Son and our Savior Jesus, his body given and his blood shed for us and for our salvation. So Lord God, as we meditate on these realities, we ask for your help in fully confessing our sins, Lord, in the silence here as we prepare to partake of the body and blood of your Son. God, your word tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Uh, We are now going to distribute the elements. Uh, We are gonna have a, a hymn of reflection here, and then we will proceed with the Lord's Supper. So I'd invite the deacons here to help distribute these.
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we partake of the bread, symbolizing the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will return a prayer of thanksgiving offered by our brother, Kevin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we've heard this morning, not only did you take on flesh and blood, but you are the word by whom all things were made, the word by whom this bread was made, uh, the word by whom our bodies, all of the stuff, Lord of matter, uh, you made it, and then you entered into it, and you took on flesh and blood, and then, Lord, you gave up that flesh and blood for us. And so, Father, we remember your body, a body like ours that you gave as a sacrifice for us. And we're grateful. Amen. Together, let us eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus' body given for us and be grateful. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us now return a prayer of thanksgiving for the cup, symbolizing the blood of our Savior Jesus shed for us, our brother Ryan. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace, for the gift of Jesus Christ, your one and only Son, the light of the world, that you gave him to us, Lord, and that he went to the cross willingly to shed his blood for us. So as we drink this cup today, Lord, let us repent of our sin, our sin that held him there, that he willingly gave for us. Amen. Let us now... Drink this cup in remembrance that Jesus' blood was shed for us and be thankful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, We... We have a little time right after the service right now for some fellowship. For those who are in the choir, I think Pastor Paul said about 15 minutes or so. So go out, grab a cup of coffee. Welcome officially back to our fellowship, Neville and Ruby. Uh, Again, so grateful that the Lord has led you back here. Uh, And we will look forward to our time together tonight. Just a reminder of our important uh, organizational meeting at 7 o'clock. Please come, even if you're not a member, it'd be great to have you here to hear what God is doing and to look ahead to what God has in store for us for 2024. Uh, So until then, receive the Lord's blessing. And this is from Jude. I had to go to Jude 24 here. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore.
And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.